0: Dr. Jim Afromo has worked with world-renowned NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, NHL, and Olympic athletes as a sports psychologist for the past few decades. His work also includes critically acclaimed sports performance book, The Champion's Mind. In an age of endless social pressures and difficult times, Dr. Afromo's work is a reminder to us all that all we need can be found both within us, on and off the field. Enjoy. Right. well i got dr jim Afremow here who's worked with countless pro sports teams on the inner game mental toughness he's written numerous best-selling books on this um and it's a real treat to have you here on the podcast so why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do
1: yeah thanks for having me on uh it's a great opportunity uh to speak with you and then you know also uh your audience um so I have a doctorate in sports psychology and I'm also a licensed professional counselor. And right now I'm in private practice. Um, I have worked at Arizona State University uh, as well as the San Francisco Giants Um, and then numerous athletes from pretty much every sport uh, that you could think of over the years. And, um, you know, I just love helping athletes uh, get out of their own way, as you say, and then also just to you know, really be the best that they can be in, uh, in sport, but also in other areas of life. So it could be in the classroom, it could be at work, uh, it could be in anything that we do. So um, that's kind of what I do. I love working with individuals, but also groups and, and teams as
0: well. And so what was it about the, uh, the inner side of sports that really drew you that way? Because a lot of people see NFL, NBA, pro athletes on TV, and they think, Oh, they train really hard. They hit the weights. They hit the gym they 're doing their cardio they 're going to physical therapy. Um, what was it about the inner game that drew you toward that side of things
1: yeah it 's such a great question because we get drawn to different things you know right like you know I think some people are just fascinated by technique and uh, or it could be the the tactical aspects of performance, uh, others more sports nutrition and others more strength and conditioning. But uh, for me uh, growing up in, you know, kind of the eighties you know, playing a bunch of different sports um, you know, I might get butterflies before I played or, you know, have a tough loss. And then, you know, how to try to bounce back from that. And I would always ask coaches or, you know, my dad or friends, you know, like what do you do in this situation? Or how do you recover in that situation? Or when you're feeling this way, what do you tell yourself? And no one really had a good answer. And, you know, Nowadays, we have much better answers, but, um, you know, I do think that it's the, it really is the next frontier of the mental game, because, um, you know, the difference between our best performance and our worst performance always hinges on our uh, mental performance. And so athletes could ask themselves, you know, when I played my best, what was going on? And then when I played my worst, what was going on? And usually it's, you know, about focus and confidence and composure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's, it's such an under, especially when you're working with the, kind of the younger you get, especially with high school, middle school kids, it's really hard to get athletes at that age to see the value in something like that. Um, how have you noticed different sports treating sports psychology in general? Do you notice there's, if there's a difference between sports like football rough and tough versus golf or tennis, which is more, you know you versus the ball type of sports
1: yeah i th- i think there's much more of an interest um you know across all sports nowadays uh there was a a golfer one time pj uh tour player that told me that uh when he first started playing on tour years ago that if uh You know, people suggested that you go see a sports psychologist, then, you know, you'd really not be happy about that recommendation. Whereas nowadays, if you're not meeting with a sports psychologist, um, you know, then people are concerned about you. You Are you really trying to get better? Are you trying to be the best that you can be? And so it's it's more normalized. There's less stigma. But um, yeah, each sport is a little different. So, you know, obviously, in more of the individual sports like golf or tennis, um, it, it's much more of a, you know, hey, sports psychologist, part of my team, you know, part of my performance team. You know, in, in other sports, I know in baseball, having worked in baseball for a while, that uh, it's becoming much more popular. Uh, and athletes are realizing that the margin for error is just getting, you know, thinner and thinner. And um, you need every edge you can get. And I think every organization, every team needs every edge you can get, because not only is the competition getting better, it's all it's global now. So when I work with the Giants, you know, player American players were competing against, you know, guys from the Dominican Republic or, you know, from Canada or from Australia or Japan or you know south korea so um, you can't really leave anything to chance or circumstance so i think athletes are realizing that and it's like you know at least i'll check it out at least i'll meet with someone at least you know maybe there's something i could get from it so that's really been encouraging
0: sure and i think that there's like you said the margin for error has become so small it's it's crazy especially like for example my niche has been coaching kickers for football i mean 10 years ago nobody had iPhones. It was a pain in the butt to record yourself and all this stuff. But now we've all got basically the equivalent of a TV studio from the 1990s in our, in our pockets with these Mm -hmm. iPhones, you can nitpick and pick apart every little thing. And I think finding you're right, that that margin for error is getting a little bit smaller um, and smaller. What are typically some of the objections that you might come across with somebody who's resistant to looking at a sports psychologist?
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's interesting because, you know, a lot of times we do have misconceptions that, um, you know, and talk about getting in our own way that can hold us back. And, you know, I think one of them is... Um, You know that if i do meet with a sports psychologist or a counselor or you know a mental game coach that uh i might you know to use baseball terminology i might get too deep in my dome (laughs) you know so uh i might start overthinking i might get my head filled up with all this psychobabble and you know and uh i might get worse and um you know that's that that's a possibility If you're not working with someone that's really good at what they do and or you're just flying by the seat of your pants and you're just trying to, you know, learn on your own sometimes. Um, Because we all have blind spots and, you know, it's hard to tell what's best for you and what's not best for you um, because we're so close to our own situation. Um, But what I would say is um, Yeah, that misconception Uh, about getting too deep in our dome when, in fact, good sports psychology is the opposite. It's it's really about like kind of chimney sweeping or, you know, kind of clearing the head of all that clutter and really just being able to be fully present and free as a bird out there um, so that we can compete our best and our skills could come out naturally and unrestrained. Um, I would say that, you know, probably another misconception is that, you know, I need to only work with someone, you know, a sports psychologist. If I'm in a slump or, you know, things aren't going well in my performance. And I think that what some of the best of the best in the world are starting to do, you know, last few years is, hey, I can't I, I can't afford. I don't have the luxury to wait till things go wrong. I need to be preventative. And so what I'm going to do is work on my mental games, you know, get it buttoned up so that when adversity strikes, you know, I could bounce back quicker. And that is so important.
0: Sure. Do you think there's an aversion to pro players using the sports performance guys that that they bring into their own teams? Like, are they more, like, have you found that there's, like, who's a pro athlete more likely to utilize somebody the team hires or an outside person?
1: You know, I I think probably more likely just whoever's more credible. Um, You know, athletes are smart and, and, you know, they, they invest so much of their time and energy into being the best, and so when they kind of look around and think, okay, who could help, who could really help me here Um, if it's someone in house that, you know, okay, this person has, you know, maybe a little bit of gray hair or that, you know, they've been, they've been in the trenches for a while. Um, you know, maybe I got, you know, just through word of mouth, like, hey, you know, go meet with this guy's really good. Um, you know, they'll give it a shot. If it's, you know, hey, looking at this guy, it looks like he's straight out of the classroom, <laughs> you know, and he, mm-hmm. he might not have worked with a lot of players before. I don't want him experimenting or, you know, her experimenting on me. Um, so there's that. There's also some of the confidentiality. Um, as you know, uh, each sports team, each organization, you know, kind of everyone knows everyone else's business. And so, Um, which can be good because we, you know, we could look out for each other and help each other, but sometimes athletes just prefer, you know, hey, I kind of want to do this on my own. It's, it really isn't anyone's business. Um, You know, it's more personal and I want it to be confidential. So uh, I think there's pros and cons of both, Um, but um, I think having someone on staff is good because, you know, they get to be with you day in and day out. And so, they could relate a little bit more to what you're, you know, what's going on and, you know, and, and kind of the, the mood or the tone of, you know, the clubhouse or the locker room. And so some of that stuff can help. But it's also sometimes easier access if, you know, hey, this person is right around the corner or I could knock on their office door. So um, there's pros and cons to both. But um, I think the key is just for the athlete to give it a shot, to give it a chance to work.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that seems to be one of the, the noticeable traits of, of pro athletes that I've interacted with is, you know, are you, you know, are you going to respect my privacy? Are you looking to co-opt my fame for, for your own purposes and all this stuff? You're right. Like you don't, it's kind of that whole chicken or the egg thing. How do you get experience if you don't have experience and, <laughs> but, but they do definitely prefer the gray hairs, that's for sure. Or the no hairs, if if you get to that point.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. There could be a few of those, but, but you're absolutely right too is that, um, you know, as, and, and for good reason, a lot of times, you know, kind of the higher up the ladder you go in sports, uh, athletes are more likely to kind of get, you know, kind of closed in and kind of retreat into a shell because everyone wants something from them. Everyone wants a piece of them. Sure. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's important to do, you know, to protect your your, protect yourself and your time, but it's also important not to get so closed off that you're kind of you know, all on your own and that you don't have some other help uh, that's available.
0: Do you see that, I guess, not like loneliness or being a loner, but do you see, do you see the pro athletes that you work with or or the more successful athletes is, is being okay with being a loner, a a typical trait you might find in somebody who um, is a high performer from a mental side?
1: Yeah, well, I, I would say that uh, a lot of these guys are lonely. A lot of these guys are, uh, you know, when they travel, um, you know, they're, you know, staying in a hotel room for the, you know, X number of days in a row or, you know, they they don't necessarily get enough time to go sightseeing or, you know, to explore kind of, you know, whatever town they're in. Um, and so... Um, or, you know, just maybe that part of that is that, you know, if I go out, I'm going to get recognized. And so I think that, you know, a lot of these guys do feel a little bit isolated, uh, a little bit disconnected. Um, and so having a go to person uh, is important, you know, whether it's a sports psychologist or, you know, just a friend or, um, you know, another coach or, uh, teammate is really important because, you know, it's a cold world out there when you're not playing well or when you're injured and, you know, you never want to suffer alone. So I think that's important.
0: Do you notice if there's a difference between the male athletes, male pro athletes that you work with versus female pro athletes that you work with on the likelihood of being, of feeling lonely? Cause I've read a couple studies and it just seems like for whatever reason, young male athletes or young males in general are typically more okay with social isolation. I- ironically, as, as ironic as that sounds yeah. with coronavirus, many young males typically do that anyway. Um, at least according to the research, but w- what are some of the the differences you notice between gender of athletes and loneliness?
1: Yeah. Di- differences, uh, you know, gender differences, and then also to kind of rewind a little bit going back to, you know, types of players, you know, um, in terms of being more introverted or extroverted, what was fascinating for me within professional baseball is that uh, a lot of guys are more, you know, like maybe let's say a position player. Uh, they're more likely to be kind of an introvert and, you know, kind of have that, you know, they flatline it a little bit in terms of their personality because, you know, if you're playing 162 games in 180 days, you can't waste any energy. And so a lot of those guys are just, you know, kind of, you know, self-described loners in the sense that, you know, they're comfortable just grabbing dinner by themselves or, you know, watching a movie by themselves. You know, even if they have a roommate, you know, <laughs> they're, they're kind of still doing their own thing. Um, in terms of, you know, getting back to your question about, um, you know, gender differences, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's a generalization, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that, you know, at least it's been my experience that most of the women athletes that I've worked with, um they're much more concerned with uh connection um you know being part of a team um and having family and friends you know as close as possible um and so you know being on the road let's say for example for an lpga tour player uh i get a lot of calls saying hey you know, i need a i need a dog with me or i need a you know i need a pet or i need you know uh i need something because you know just kind of going back to the hotel room you know especially after a you know a rough rough round um and just kind of staring at the four walls you know that's <laughs> that's that gets a little bit old after a while so Um, I think women are better, you know, again, in general, at least in my experience working with female athletes that, um, you know, they they have a little bit more craving, but they're also better at reaching out. Um, And that's important, too. I think a lot of times with male athletes, I nudge them to get out like, hey, you know, obviously you have a, you know, a three game or, you know, series or you're going to, you know, this town or that town. Maybe go to a museum once you know, or maybe, you know, maybe, you know, invite a, a teammate that you normally, you know, uh, wouldn't uh, out for dinner. And a lot of times, they'll, you know, with a little nudging, they'll do that and then they'll get back to me. You know, I'm glad I did that. that. That was fun. That was better than just kind of hanging out by myself.
0: Sure. Why do you think male athletes struggle to reach out more? Or maybe it could just be a guy thing in general.
1: Yeah, I think some of that is the guy thing in general, and then, you know, kind of relates to what you were talking about earlier, too, um, in terms of even sports psychology services, uh, because I think some guys look at it as you know, maybe either A, a weakness or, you know, just showing a vulnerability. Um, I think, uh, you know, for some guys, it's harder to say, you know what, I am feeling lonely, you know, like, you know, let's go, let's go to a movie or let's go, you know, I think that, you know, they, there's some fear that, you know, my teammates or whoever might be thinking, um, you know, what's the deal with this guy? You know, is he needy or is he, you know, um, is he not mentally tough? And, you know, so there's some baggage around that. Um, but when I have talked with ex-athletes, it's amazing how many times they've, they've mentioned that, you know, I really miss the camaraderie. Um, I miss being around the guys. You know, they also say I miss the schedule too. I miss kind of having something planned every day. Whereas when I'm working with athletes currently, you know, performing, a lot of times they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, just the schedule is, you know, it gets too much at times. And then, you know, there might be like i need a break from some of my teammates especially when we're around each other all the time but um so some of it is just appreciating what you got when you have it
0: mm-hmm. what are some of the fundamental character traits of mentally tough athletes in your experience
1: you know i i think that uh competitiveness is number 1 um it's not necessarily politically correct or necessarily something talked about in sports psychology but some of the best athletes i've ever worked with we're talking gold medalists in the olympics or you know all-stars in baseball or you know all pro in football um don't necessarily love their sport um you know ideally you know we have that intrinsic motivation where i would do this for free you know or i would do this you know if i had you know 60 days to live or 30 days to live. I would play my sport every day. Cause I love it that much. Um, but some of the best athletes I've worked with, it's just like, I just like to compete. I like to win. You know, I like to see how good I can get. Um, and I, I love to battle. I love to scrap, but you know, I love to fight and, um, you know, I hate losing more than I love winning. And so it's just that, you know, like I will not be denied attitude and, um, you know, and, because for some of these guys, it's like, you know, if you um, you know, if you didn't have to play your sport, would you? And some of them say, no, I would do something else. And so that's, that's been kind of surprising to me. But, um, but they all want to win. They all want to compete. They all want to battle. Um, so I think that's a big, big, big character trait of these guys.
0: Do you find that some guys, or at least early on, or, or athletes in general, do you find that some of them – mix up their self-worth as a person with their performance as an athlete
1: yeah i mean i think we all do that i, I think men are probably a little more guilty of that you know uh we're being tough on men today but um <laughs> you know just in terms of career and in terms of uh uh you know like i am what i do kind of deal and um i don't think it's possible even though sometimes i'll say you know you you know your sport is what you do. It's not who you are. I I do think it is part of who you are and it's not necessarily getting rid of that. And I don't think it's necessarily a good idea to completely get rid of that. I just think it's important to add in other things. And so um, I definitely encourage athletes to, uh, you know, and again, this could be some of the nudging I mentioned earlier in terms of, Hey, get out more, pick up a hobby or try something a little bit different, or, you know, maybe reach out to someone that you haven't talked to in a while. Um, To kind of flex some of their other talents or, you know, to, to build new skills. And I think what is really helpful about that is they don't just see themselves as only an athlete. Um, You know, uh, I'm also a, you know, a, a, you know, a, you know, brother or sister, I'm a husband or, you know, or a wife. I'm, you know, I have all these other roles in my life. And then, so number one, it, you know, it almost takes away some of that added pressure of, you know, everything's on the line every time I compete. And so it frees them up to just go out there and rock out. But um, what I would say is that it also gives them that just kind of time out or vacation from their sport. Because as you know, and you know, people listening know it's, I mean, it's a grind. It's not Disneyland out there every day. And so um, it's painful. It hurts. It's, you know, you're sore before you even get to practice. And, you know, and and the competition is just so stiff. And so it's, it's, you know, so we do need, you know, time for regeneration. We need time for rest and recovery. And we do need to get our mind a million miles away from what we're doing at times. And so, you know, again, even if it's just encouraging guys to read a book or, you know, just pick up an instrument or, you know, go listen to music. Um, Just try something different uh, to feel good. Um, And um, you'll be surprised at how helpful that is for your performance. Cause I think we all risk, you know, everyone that's kind of chasing their tail or chasing peak performance is, is at risk for burnout. And so we definitely don't want to do that. So this keeps you fresh.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because there are, I would say most NFL athletes that I've spoken with or other pro athletes that I've met, they have something outside of their sport that they really love. So Tiff Tiff Joe, who's an LPGA uh, golfer, I had her on the podcast maybe about a month ago and she's great, but she, you know, she's great at golf, but we spent probably about 40 minutes out of the 60 minutes talking about how much she loves surfing and like how she, how she uses surfing as not only a way to recharge for golf, but also to get like extra mental training in for golf, not forcing shots, you know, waiting for the right wave and stuff like that. So it is interesting that most athletes over the long haul, the ones that don't get burnt out, they, they all can kind of plug into a secondary activity that lets them detach a little bit more from their sport.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's really smart. You know, I'd I recommend uh, having two or three things because I think sometimes when we can't do our favorite thing, um, you know, either for like a hobby or just you know just for stress management, then we tend to just do nothing and so I think trying to you know maybe have two or three different options, so you know when i 'm on the road, I might do this or when i can 't go surfing you know i 'm going to do you know x, y, and z instead, and so um sometimes we just have one idea and <laughs> it 's kind of dangerous to only have one idea in terms of you know, how we could take care of ourselves. So, but yeah, I I do think it's really powerful to have that kind of something else that, again, helps you feel good, helps you feel like, you know, I, I wear different hats, you know, and and something that, um, you know, you could look forward to doing. Because um, again, sometimes, you know, it's just like in, you know, life, but uh sport isn't, you know, we, even no matter how much we love our sport, it's not going to always love us back. So, You know, uh, so it's important to have something that, you know, we'll just feel good doing just for the sake of doing it.
0: Sure. Now you have a foot in both worlds, not just sports psychology, but also regular practice as well. And counseling. Stress has been a huge buzzword for the past 15, 10 years, especially high school athletes, college athletes. I know the NCAA has done a bunch of studies on it. How do you define stress? in your work and what are two or three, so I guess three three sub questions. How do you define stress? How have you seen stress change or rise in the past decade or so? And then what are some tips or advice you could give to athletes or their parents who are listening for stress management?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there probably isn't a more important question right now for most of us because, I think our stress levels are so high even when we don't think they are. Um, you know, a lot of times when, you know, we get injured or or get sick, um, you know, it's because of a lot of that stress. And um You know, and a lot of us will say, yeah, I'm busy or I'm, you know, a little bit stressed, but I think our, you know, we're definitely more stressed than we probably would like to even admit and uh, just with everything going on. And so for stress, I would kind of, you know, there's different ways to look at it, but I would say, you know, kind of a simple uh, explanation would be that there's an imbalance between, you know, kind of my skill level or, you know, my ability to kind of cope or handle the situation and then the perceived magnitude of the challenge or the situation. So if I'm really confident in myself, like, you know, hey, I put in the work or, you know, have good skills and strategies, I have a lot of support, um, I have a lot of help, um, you know, and we're feeling really good about ourselves, you know, we might look at it as a challenge as just, you know, our situation is just like, okay, I can handle it, you know, it's bring it on, let's go. Uh, if we're feeling a little bit small, then the challenge is going to feel much, much bigger. And it's like, I can't handle this, you know, like this is going to be too hard. And then we start having all those negative thoughts or, you know, what if I fail, what's it going to mean? And then we start to emotionalize the situation and catastrophize the situation where it feels like the sky's falling. And so (laughs) that's kind of how we get in our own way is whatever negative thoughts that we're having uh, seem much more powerful than they really are. And usually when we get through a tough situation, it's like, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, or, you know, actually it wasn't bad at all. Uh, You know, I kind of look forward to the next time Um, now in general. So there's, you know, there's stress from sport itself. And we talked about that a little bit earlier in terms of just the competition is, you know, like 20, 30, 40 years ago, you didn't necessarily need to be, you know, or even maybe five, 10 years ago, you didn't need to really be on point with your nutrition necessarily. Um, I think with Kobe Bryant scored 81 points uh, in Toronto, I think he said he had uh, cheese pizza and, or pepperoni pizza and, and grape juice, you know, or grape soda. And so, you know, that's not a good, uh, you know, strategy for long-term success, but, you know, you could kind of get away with that stuff. Whereas now you're competing against people that, you know, have their own sports nutritionist. And so, you know, good luck doing that as a, you know, as an ongoing kind of strategy. Uh, So again, you know, the competition is better and better prepared than ever, you know, mentally, physically um, you know, in all ways, and then just life itself um, you know uh, just, you know, family and, and, you know, just a lot of times relocation uh, moving from one team to another or one city to another. Um, There's just a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of moving parts. And so it's easy if we don't stay on top of our attitude and our rest and recovery for all of a sudden, you know, we hit the wall and then we hit it hard. And then that's when, you know, we kind of fall apart.
0: Sure. And I think there's a, you know, Tipping into the outside of the sports world, social media obviously is one of the best and worst things that ever happened to humanity. <laughs> I mean, that's how <laughs> you and I connected, but it also, yeah. you know, there's, I guess there's kind of a, at least, so when I, uh, I've been a teacher for a little bit and when I talk to my students or when I think about it, kids today won't ever truly know what it's like to really mess up and not have somebody record it. For, for for, end of eternity. Um, you know, it used to be if you messed up in the 90s or early 2000s, yeah, people might remember the story, but there's not going to be a video record or an audio record or a screenshot of that. Now, it's, it's actually weird if you don't take out your phone to film somebody when they're not looking at you or noticing that you're filming them. Um, and then there's kind of this debate over uh, has social media really changed athletes and how we think or has it just made us more of what we already are? So, you know, is it just like neutral piping or is it actually changing how we interact with one another? So I'm curious from your perspective is, do you see social media changing how athletes train and think about their sport or is it just amplifying what they've already been doing
1: yeah i mean it it's definitely a tool that we could use uh for our benefit or you know we can um you know uh use it against ourselves and hurt ourselves and you know uh that's so we got to be smart with it and um and you know i would say that for most athletes you know at least it's been my experience uh, they probably are a little bit too concerned with you know kind of what's out there and um you know easy for me to say because if I go play golf no one cares (laughs) you know like my wife doesn't care my daughter doesn't care you know it's just like hey did you have fun you know they don't care what I shot or you know just hey did you have fun today um whereas for um you know competitive athletes it's what score did you shoot? And actually I just saw you getting roasted on, on Twitter or on Facebook and, or I can't believe you hit that shot. What were you thinking? And so, you know, everything get, you know, so, Athletes today really are in a, uh, you know, kind of a pressure bubble and, you know, under the microscope and, you know, everything's scrutinized in real time, which is really fascinating. Um, but, and then you also are going to, you know, if you're successful at any level and people know about you, you're definitely going to have a hate club out there, no matter how successful or good you are. There's going to be people that are going to say you're overrated or, you know, this or that. And, Um, You know, which is fascinating because sometimes the most popular athletes are also on the list of the least popular athletes, you know, so, you know, like Tom Brady, you know, people love him or people hate him. Same with, you know, you know, pick a name. And so I do think that one of the best approaches I ever heard was uh, from Serena Williams, where she talked about that um, when she would read something, you know, early on her career, when she would read something, you know, really flattering about her game, Uh, She would get so excited and hyped up and, you know, almost too much. And then when she would read something that was, you know, just, hey, she's not that good or she's overrated, it would really hurt her feelings or, you know, she'd want to be like, hey, that's not true or why would you write that? And so what she learned to do for herself is, you know, I'm just going to look through magazines and if I see, you know, article on me, I'll I'll cut it out for after my career Or I'll just look at the pictures (laughs) because she likes fashion. So, you know, I'll look at the pictures and, oh yeah, I look good that day and, you know, kind of have fun with it, but not necessarily read what was written about her. Um, And then, you know, in her way of dealing with expectations is just to always remind herself that, hey, look, I'm playing for myself and, you know, my expectations now are to see how deep I can go in the history books. And then how much fun I could still have playing this game that I love. And so I think she has a really good head on her shoulders and is good model for handling, you know, uh, you know, most of the criticism out there. She might make a few mistakes, you know, at times like we all do. Uh, but that's where you got to forgive yourself and realize that, you know, people are going to hate on you and that, you know, you probably wouldn't go to them for advice. So I don't need to worry about going, you know, I don't need to go to them for criticism either.
0: Sure. Yeah, and it's it's interesting thinking about you know how how these superstar athletes. I mean, they're human. I mean, you you spend time around mm-hmm. a pro athlete long enough, and you're gonna be like, oh man, this guy's just like me, except you know he plays football on Sundays. But it it is interesting to see you know with social media, you are the star of your own show, and mm-hmm. it's <laughs> it is it's just fascinating to watch. Like you know, sometimes you'll get the Antonio Browns of the world, and they'll just obliterate a part of locker room, and then other times you'll have really strong personalities like a Tom Brady who will end up uniting a locker room. So it, yeah, it it is definitely a very double-sided sword, social media. Um, let's talk about confidence. Mm
1: -hmm. I think
0: the number one struggle with young athletes that I've worked with is confidence in their abilities. Um, a lot of times people treat it as something that you either have it or you don't have it. It's almost like the weather. It's like this whimsical thing. Can you define your, give us your definition of what confidence is and then do you think it can be coached? And if so, how? Yeah.
1: And that's why I do what I do because it can be coached. And, um, I wish I knew that when I was an athlete, (laughs) you know, but, um, because, you know, it, it's interesting, Jack Nicklaus, uh, you know, many consider, you know, uh, at least there's a debate with him and Tiger, but, you know, he was the player of the century. Um, he's won 18 majors, um, you know, just amazing, amazing, amazing uh, golfer. And he recently, so talk about social media. He recently tweeted that uh, confidence is the number one, you know, the most important factor in golf and Maybe life. So, I mean, what a bold statement. Um, and I agree with him. Uh, it, you know, it kind of goes back to that, what's that saying by uh, Henry Ford? You know, if you think you can, then you probably can. If you think you can't, then you probably won't, you know. And so um, confidence to me is just, you know, whatever the task at hand is, you know, I, I have a good shot at at, you know, getting the job done here. You know, I, I, I like my chances here. You know, I, I've done it before and I could do it again. Or, you know, maybe I haven't done it before, but it's similar to what I've already done. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, giving it my best shot. And so, um, you know, you're kind of backing yourself, you're rooting for yourself, you, you believe in yourself and then you know there might be a little bit of doubt in there and then that's where some courage comes in and like hey we're going to do it anyway you know we'll be okay no matter what you know and we're we're either going to win or learn here so uh to me it's just doing a whole lot of believing in yourself and you know what's possible and um and you know just kind of battling the, the you know so the inner game is you versus you it's it's you know the first game before you play the opponent and that's the second game but if if you can win that inner game where, you know what, I'm going to stay positive. I'm going to, you know, stay proactive. uh, I'm going to, you know, give it everything I've got until I run out of time. uh, And I like my chances, then you're going to do pretty well. And, um, but if you start, you know, I can't do this. I'm not good enough to be here. uh, I'm worried, you know, too worried about what everyone else thinks. um, Then you've lost before the game has even started. And so there's nothing more frustrating you know probably the biggest crime in you know that we could commit in sports and the thing that we feel worst about is when we know in our heart of hearts that i beat myself today you know the opponent you know you know hats off to the opponent but i know i didn't put my best foot forward today and so that's all about the inner game is you know what's going on between the ears. And uh, do I, you know, I'm going to respect the opponent, but I'm going to love my stuff today. And that's hard to do because, you know, which is fascinating, you know, in terms of the mental game overall is that we all have a built in negativity bias. You know, that's just how our brain developed uh, for survival and, you know, to keep us safe. And so it's easy to get it's easier to get negative then to stay positive. And that's why it is a game. That's why it is a challenge. Uh, that w- that's why it is something that we need to keep working on instead of, okay, I'm confident now, uh, or I'm playing good now. So I don't need to worry about the mental game, you know, and the mental game, we need to get our reps in every day. And, you know, just even for a few minutes. So daily mental skills training is key.
0: Sure. And I think looking at <laughs> yeah i mean when when you notice when you're around like a really good athlete and they they turn it on it's like wow um and i and I think it's just like like you said, it's just being present, you know focusing on that task at hand, and it's not something that you like you have or you don't have it's like you always have to continue to go back to it. it's a process, and I think that's most frustrating for a lot of younger athletes because everything you look at is instant this instant that you know, it's called Instagram for a reason. If it was called Process, mm. I don't think anybody would use it.
1: <laughs> It'd be too boring.
0: Yeah, so, it would be too. Oh, then- yeah, I have to continually work at this. No. Um So there's a great book uh, by I don't know if you heard of her. I think her name is Annie Dukes or Duke, but it's called Thinking mm-hmm. and. And so she, former poker player, and mm-hmm. she kind of got sick of people equating sports and life with chess, saying that. In chess, there's virtually every, there's virtually a right and wrong move for every play that you do. A pawn is always going to mm-hmm. be a pawn. A rook will always do what a rook does, etc. And there's no there's very little luck or chance in that. Whereas with poker, you're making decisions with incomplete information, which is what she calls a bet. And so one of the things she explores in her book, and I would recommend that to anybody listening, is you know why are we so uncomfortable with luck in our lives you know if like so for example you would never it you you might hear athletes at press conferences say oh well i got lucky today i guess you know they're kind of feigning humility um but i i guess what i'm curious about is how how do you see or how do you coach your athletes on chance and sports because it, since it's all played by humans it, they're you're never going to totally eliminate luck or or the potential of something going wrong from your, you know, you could do all the reps, you could work really hard, have the perfect diet and still fall short. So how do you coach your players around things like luck?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely an uncontrollable. And sometimes we get good luck and then other times dumb luck and, you know, the dumb luck could be a bad call, uh, an injury, you know, a a bad bounce. Um, And, you know, it's easier said than done, but you got to take those in stride. And I almost look at it as, um, you know, when we, when something happens unexpected um, that, you know, no one's ever going to play perfect, um, but we can have an almost perfect response when something doesn't go perfect, perfectly well. And so that, that should be our focus. That's our job is, okay, you know, I'm going to try to be world-class at what I do, but I'm also going to be try to try to be world-class at when things don't go as well as I want. And so take pride in that, you know, yeah, I got my teeth kicked in today or, you know, our team got, uh, you know, got, got our clocks cleaned today. Um, So what we do next is what's really going to define us, not what happened today or, you know, what happened there on the field. And so take pride in being a comeback specialist, take pride in rolling with the punches, take pride in, you know, not necessarily getting two up or two down. Um, And so I think that's really important. Um, In the moment, a lot of it is just learning to laugh it off. Um, I, you know, been fortunate enough to be around some amazing athletes. And so um, one of the things that I've found is that they're extremely optimistic. And so, you know, uh, one uh, all-star baseball player, he would strike out, go back into the dugout and say, man, I'm going to get that pitcher next you know, next at bat. And then let's say he's, you know, would get out the next time at bat. He would come back in the dugout and say the exact same thing. Oh, man, I can't wait for my third at bat. I'm going to get him next time. And, you know, he would do that until he ran out of at-bats. And, you know, that to me is, you know, that again, that's the mental game is, you know, how good can we be when things aren't going in our favor? And when you really think about it, which I love this question I'll ask athletes is, do you have anything to lose by thinking that way? you know, uh, is there anything really to lose by thinking that way? And, you know, no one after a game or after a season, is going to look back and say, Oh, I wish I was more pessimistic out there. <laughs> or I wish I, you know, I, I wish I was more realistic out there or, you know, or even negative out there. And so, you know, there's nothing, you know, to lose by being, you know, almost psychotically optimistic and positive during a game. Um, Dusty Baker, uh, had a chance to ask him about his approach to managing. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, just a great career as a player in baseball, but then also an amazing manager for a bunch of different organizations. And, you know, he said that he always looked for, he always looks for something good to happen during a game. So, you know, if we're down by five, Hey, there's still four innings left, you know, or, you know, like the other team hits the ball hard, you know, like, you know, let's make a good play, you know? So he's always kind of rooting for the ball, rooting for it to, you know, to help them. And when something doesn't go well, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you know, we still have another at bat or we still have another inning. And so um, to me, that's, you know, that's what it's all about. Now, when we can be a little bit more so-called realistic or maybe even a little pessimistic would be for training and preparation. You know, like, am I sure I'm doing everything I should be doing? You know, is there anything more I could be doing? Am I getting the rest that I need and, you know, the nutrition that I want? And so, you know, be a little picky and, you know, maybe a little bit hard on yourself in you know preparing for a performance but in the game it's just like you know i'm going to keep believing in myself until you know until the final whistle
0: gotcha yeah i mean it's almost like like let's (laughs) i was just working with a kid the other day and he you know talented kid just kind of doubts himself from time to time and i said you know let's get you to the point where you're missing because you're too cocky instead of missing because you're questioning yourself too much (laughs) And then, then we can take up the you know the, the measuring stick and be hyper analytical afterwards. Um, well, yeah,
1: yeah. Can I can I chime in because it's such a such a key point you just made there. Um, you know, err on the side of being. You know, I, I don't necessarily agree with the idea of overconfidence, but um, I, I think it's something else. I think confidence again is just I know I could get the job done, and um, and so. But whenever I bring up confidence to a coach or an athlete or a parent, the immediate response I get back is, well, I don't want to be cocky. And isn't that fascinating? It's really fascinating that, uh, you know, we have to make sure that people understand that, that. Well, no one ever said you were cocky or, you know, and I would say the people that worry most about being, you know, like, I don't want to come across as cocky probably need to be cockier, you know what I mean? And so it's the people that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there are a few players that come across as like, I'm bigger and better than you. And, you know, maybe they need to to be told that, okay, off the field, you're not, (laughs) you know, keep thinking that way on the field, but you know, you put your pants on just like, you know, one leg at a time, just like we all do. So I think that perspective is important, but in terms of like when it's showtime, I mean, if you don't think you're the best one out there, uh, then don't go out there now the kind of getting back to what you're saying earlier about social media and then also just the you know kind of we want instant results and so those play off each other because you know if we know that everyone's going to be ranking us and grading us and you know ripping us to shreds or you know putting us on a pedestal after every single game then um, we want those instant results and so um, the key is not to fall down, you know, get caught up in that trap or, you know, let ourselves fall into that black hole because then you're done, you know, because then it's just an emotional roller coaster. And what athletes really need to do, what we all really need to do is our best at, am I getting better week to week, game to game, you know, month to month and year to year? And, you know, so let them talk, you know, let everyone talk because who I am this month isn't who I was last month. I'm already better. Or let's say we do flub. And again, easier said than done, but let's say we do flub and screw up and, you know, maybe so-called lose the game for our team. Um, well, let's show the world how well I can handle that. Let's show what I'm made of. And this is actually a cooler opportunity. And I can't wait to be in that situation again. And so the key is, you know, have a long view. And then also, you know, that it's not going to be, um, like we talked about Disneyland. It's gonna be, it's going to be a, a meat grinder at times and um, you're gonna get throttled. If you wanna see how good you can be, you're gonna get embarrassed and you're gonna get throttled and that's just part of the deal. And so fall in love with that, you know what? That's gonna happen, and, but I'm gonna get right back up again. And that's what's gonna make me you know, most happy. And then, you know, and then, you know, I could take some ribbing. I could take, you know, there's – everyone's going to be the GOAT at times, you know, in the bad way, not the good way, you know, not the greatest of all time, but, you know, the GOAT of the game or the season or the, you know, the team. And it's like, okay, if I have a long career, that's going to happen a few times. And then I guess this is just one of those few times.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even Tom Brady loses a couple of Super Bowls here and there. And, uh, yeah, you're right. It's funny, you know, we love, um I think, ratella said this when i have on a podcast and he was like you know we we love winners but we hate confident people <laughs> um, yeah yeah it, it's an interesting like as an america we worship success but then like the second a successful person acts confident about that then we hate them um
1: yeah but, it's like a it's like a love-hate relationship and yeah. what i would say is that um in terms of the whole this whole issue and you know being cockier versus confident is um be as cocky as you want on the field but it's got to be more of a you know obviously through good sportsmanship um so it's not necessarily like that anyone would see it on the outside they might say oh man that guy has great body language and that guy looks like nothing phases him and you know that player looks like you know they own the field but man, I I would love to play with that. You know, I would love for that person to be my teammate. You know, I think that the cocky is really just more of the – kind of the, just being a jerk. And that's just like, you know, and, and so I do agree with like, act like you've been there before, <laughs> you know, like um, you know, don't put yourself above and beyond the team. You know, it's, it's, it's more about what's best for the team than what's best for you always. And um, so if you can do that, then you have the best of both worlds. You don't, you know, it's kind of like what Walter Payton, the hall of fame, you know, NFL running back said, uh, you know, when you're good, you tell other people. When you're great, they'll tell you. So you, <laughs> yeah. don't need to, you don't need to be tooting your own horn because everyone saw what you did. So let's say you had an amazing game, everyone saw it. You don't need to go out there and, and talk about it. They'll be talking about it. Don't worry about
0: it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Last thing, what are you working on right now? And sorry, because I know you've got a couple books. What are you working on right now that you're really excited about?
1: Yeah, so uh, with Dave Kearney, uh, co-created the Champions Mind app and uh, Dave is a, a businessman and, you know, kind of just amazing person uh, that wants to help others and, you know, really, uh, you know, start Like, you know, the way I would put it is that the mindset is the next frontier and he wants to be a part of that. I obviously want to be a part of that. And so how can we reach the most people and help the most people? Um, And we thought, you know, hey, how about an app? Uh, A lot of times when I'm working with teams or with athletes is, you know, I'll hear things like, you know, Uh, I wish we could bring you along on this trip or wish we could, you know, I wish you lived closer or I wish you were available whenever I needed you. And um, but with an app, with a world-class app, you know, why not have mental skills training for everyone? And why not all of us learn to become champions? And so that's the goal of the app. Uh, I think we're off to a really, really good start. We've gotten a lot of good feedback, but it's going to get better and better. And so we have, Short audios that, um, you know, on confidence, concentration, composure, commitment, visualization, you know, pretty much everything under the umbrella of mental skills training that you can uh, have access to um, at your fingertips. And so a lot of athletes I've worked with, you know, at Arizona State University or other universities or just, you know, pro athletes and other performers is they could get in the mental skills training when there's downtime. So between classes, before practice, after practice, you know, in the morning to start their day, right. Or at night to unwind. And so that's what I'm really excited about because no one today is going to ever be without a phone, you know, especially the younger generation. And so, you know, there's no excuse anymore to say, I don't have time to work on my mental game. So, um, that's what I'm really excited about just that we can make a difference that um, because, I wish, you know, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about uh, mindset and, you know, sports psychology is because I wish I learned this when I was younger. It would have helped me in school, it would have helped me in sport, and I just would have had more fun. And so we can't, um, you know, I'm definitely not going to be able to run the ball like Walter Payton or, you know, pick your favorite player. And, you know, I'm definitely not going to throw the ball like Tom Brady, but I can learn to think like them. You could learn to think like them. And there's no excuse for us not to. So that's what really excites me.
0: Awesome, man. One second. We're going to pause that right there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Kickers Are People to podcast. If you like this episode, or even better, if you didn't like it, please drop us a review on iTunes so we can get better for everybody else. This is important because we're going to start to give away some free cool prizes in the coming weeks, episodes, and seasons. Thank you.